I'm pretty sure I mentioned this to you before, at least at weekday masses. Did you know I'm a movie star? Truly a movie star. I starred in a movie with Betty Davis. It's called uh, Dead Ringer. Well, I'm not a movie star, um, but I was in the movie for about 35 seconds. <laughs> and I sang in it, so I got 100 bucks that day and received royalties over the years, you know, sometimes like $2.10 or something. But I knew Betty Davis, the star. Well, I didn't really know her, but I did uh, not exactly meet her, but I was there at the graveside. We were singing around a graveside. She, she was a twin in the story, playing both parts, and she kills her sister and all, uh, whatever. Um, and I did meet her from a distance when she came out of her um, trailer the, where she gets her makeup and does everything. And she came out typical, just the iconic, the iconic Betty Davis. She walks out of the trailer with her cigarette in her hands and she says, Darling, I'm ready now. In front of everyone, Darling, I'm ready now. That was Betty Davis. Now, that's not the point of this homily. I mention this because um, I thought of her because of movie stars. Uh, down, down Hollywood Boulevard, you've got all those stars with the names of people. In fact, I found her star one day, and I had someone take a picture of me over Betty Davis and pointed to her. But um, why are they called stars? Stars are up in the heavens. They give us light. Uh, they're, they're part of our dreams. Uh, we talk about the luminaries, these heavenly bodies up there. And stars are these people that are sometimes bigger than life. And uh, some people admire them so much they want to be like them or follow them. But they're, they're, they're bigger than life. We celebrate the epiphany. It's all about the star. And the truth is, though, this isn't actually epiphany today. Epiphany is on the 6th of January. But what the church did after Vatican Council is said, Oh, no, this feast is too big. This is something we all have to celebrate. So uh, as close as we can to the 6th, we fix this day, and we call it Epiphany, and celebrate all the readings and prayers of the Feast of Epiphany. Um, I grew up believing it was the end of the Christmas season, Epiphany, the 12th day of Christmas. We even sing that song. Um, but it isn't. Does anybody know when the, the end of Christmas is? What day? What feast? The baptism of the Lord, that's the end, next Sunday. Um, but there's so many things that are a, a little bit confusing around this feast because uh, it's taken on different times and we don't even celebrate it actually on the day. And it was the end of Christmas, now it isn't the end of Christmas. Um, and it's all even, uh, even called Little Christmas. This is the day that in some cultures, especially Latinos, do Filipinos do this too, give, give gifts on the Epiphany? This was the day that for a lot of Latinos, that's when they actually gave the gifts. Um, but the story itself is a little confusing in that it's only told in Matthew. The star is mentioned in Luke, not in, in, Matthew, in Mark or John, but in Matthew it's prominent. And it takes this prominent place where it actually attracts people from the east, these three magi. And what makes it so extraordinary is they're not Jews. So in Matthew's gospel, a gospel that was written specifically to the Jews, it was for the Jews, it was trying to convert them and call them to Christ, 
The first people to meet the Christ and recognize him as the Christ are, are Gentiles. What a slap to the Jews. Oh, Matthew knew exactly what he was doing. He was making a grand point. So these Gentiles come because they see a star. Now, why a star? Well, in those days, uh, any king or any great person was usually uh, announced by the stars. There was some manifestation of the stars, and, and people pointed to it and said, Ah, there's the sign. And if you listen to the readings, all the prophecies of these readings come true in this feast. Even the gold, frankincense, and myrrh is mentioned in Isaiah hundreds of years before saying that these gifts would be brought and they would all pay homage to the, to the, you know, to the one who was to come. So uh, in this feast, if it were just that, this beautiful star leading people to the Christ, that would be wonderful. But no, Matthew paints a very ugly story here. And it's wrapped around not only Gentiles finding the Christ and coming to pay him homage, but Herod becoming super jealous when he hears that another king has been born and he feels threatened in his kingdom. And then this story parallels the story of Moses because the same thing happens. Babies, boys, two years and younger, all get killed, all get wiped out to try to get Moses and to get Jesus. And it's even more sinister because of the way that Herod does it. He calls the Magi when he finds out from his own uh, uh, religious leaders who is this and what is this supposed to happen and where and why? And they tell him. So they call the Magi and Herod says, you know, oh, I understand you're going to find this king. I want to see him too and pay him homage. So when you find him, can you come back and tell me diligently where is he exactly so I can go pay him homage? In parentheses, I want to kill him. So that's what they do, except they get a dream and tells them to go, uh, go back to their home another route. Don't go back to see Herod. That's what they do. Herod becomes furious and he sends out his army to kill the little baby boys two years and younger. Terrible story around the birth of Jesus. But in all of this, the one thing that is absolutely central is the meaning of this star. Does anyone know what the word epiphany means? Epiphany. It's manifestation or revelation. This star was manifesting or revealing the coming of the Christ into the world, the light, the light of the world. So if we listen to the other readings, we really get the impact of this. Because you see, if this story were literally true exactly as it's written, which is kind of unlikely because no one else mentions it, and this is huge, huge in a little town of Bethlehem that these these three kings or magi from the east would come and bring all these gifts and Isaiah is, is, is realized that uh, the prophecy becomes true in them. It, it's kind of remarkable. No one else would mention it. And it's also kind of um, revealing that it's a parallel story to Moses. It, it, you know, it's, it, it's Matthew at his best. Matthew making a point at his best. But if it were true exactly as it's written and this was the story this happened about 2020 years ago okay it happened one time we're talking one night one day of looking at this star and finding jesus the christ the light of the world wow 2020 years later that's what we're celebrating i don't think so it goes much deeper it always goes much deeper the word of god this word of god is meant to snare us to snag us 
and pull us in deeply and then reveal something inside of us. Something in us is supposed to change because of our celebration of Epiphany. So in the first reading, Isaiah, the 60th chapter, way at the end of Isaiah, the prophet is telling Jerusalem, you have become a light to the nations. You don't just know the light. You haven't just seen the light. You have become the light. The light dwells in you. And this light is so powerful, all the nations of the world will come to see everything in this light, in you. That's an amazing word. And then in the second reading, that light is again revealed, but then it says this. Paul says, I am a steward of the graces of God, and I have, with good stewardship, given them to you to help you to realize, do you know what has happened to you? You Gentiles are now co-heirs with the Jews mixing and mingling with that first reading over the gospel you are co-heirs in other words they were the sons of god you are sons and daughters of god too now so when you take these two readings and you wrap them around this story of the star leading people non-jews gentiles to the christ and they lay in the dirt and pay him homage give him gifts and they honor him as the christ the one who was to come the holy one what makes this so powerful is, well, we believe this, we know this, but we are the people of the light. The light has been given to you and given to me. You and I are stewards of this light. If we have come to know the light and we don't reveal or manifest that light to anybody else, what good does it do to have the light? So I got light in me, is that it? You and I are supposed to be this light. You and I are supposed to lead others to Christ. That doesn't mean necessarily make them Christians or even believers, but give to them the light of Christ. And for me, the light of Christ becomes super clear, super clear in this cross. I say it all the time, but because for me, this is the absolute uh, clarity about Jesus. You see, the readings, the preface, all these prayers talk about human and divine. The divine, the Christ, the Word, the second person of the Trinity came into the human, Jesus, this baby. So the human and divine were mysteriously mixed together. And where does it reveal itself so perfectly? Right here. This is a climactic moment when the humanity and divinity of Christ become one. Now, why this is so is I believe that for me, the, the, the explanation or description of the cross that makes the most sense to me and, and just uh, fills me with, with a great sense of awe and, and gratitude is that I think in the cross, Jesus Christ gives back to us our humanity. So the scriptures describe it this way, again in a story because it's the only way you can get at some truth. You tell these stories. There's a story that Adam and Eve were born or created and put in this garden. And God gives them everything they need. They don't even need clothes. They're naked because they're so innocent. They don't see nakedness as something uh, sensual or something um, weird. Or they, they are just, they're just nakedly standing before God as his creatures, given the gift of paradise. Paradise. God says, eat of every tree in this garden, every single tree, eat except that one. 
The only one, I, I don't want you to eat of that one, just hear me. Do you understand? Yes. And then a serpent comes, a, a talking serpent at that, okay? And this talking serpent comes and has a conversation with Eve and says, Oh, no. He just said that because he doesn't want you to be like him and be as powerful as him. You should eat from that tree. Oh, no, no, I shouldn't. Yes, you should. Don't worry about it. Do it. She does. He does. And everything changes. We call it the fall. They're broken by their sin. Now they are ashamed. Now they know good and evil. This brokenness is the condition of not knowing the truth of our humanity. So let me give you an example of how inhuman we become. By the third chapter of Genesis, Cain kills his brother Abel over jealousy about a blessing. Brothers killing brothers? Does it happen all the time? And you see, when we lose our humanity, it's not just the humanity that we should know in God. It's, it's, we know it ourselves. We, we choose not to be human. I'll give an example. Jesus is over there talking to me, and he puts his wallet on the chair because he's you know, making his donation. He just lays it down there for a moment. But when Mass is over, he gets up and walks away, forgets his wallet, and I see it. I say, oh, my God. So I, as he's walking away, I should say, Jesus, you left your wallet here. Hey, Jesus, here's your wallet. But I go like this, bye, Jesus, bye. Like, hurry home, hurry, hurry. You've got to get home and take care of business. And then I snatch his wallet money. I know that's wrong. I'm no moron. I know that's wrong. That's not human. That's inhuman to do that. And I can lose my own humanity to myself. Strip myself of my own humanity. And it happens all the time. So Jesus, who was so divinely human and so humanly divine, after he is tried uh, for a crime he hasn't committed, and he is stripped and beaten and forced to carry the cross and nail the cross and lift up on the cross to die, after all this rejection and incredible human and emotional and spiritual uh, pain and suffering, he had every right to condemn them all to hell right there. To say, I'll see you all in hell. And instead he says, Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. The human and divine become absolutely one. Everything that he has divinely and in a divinely inspired way taught to his people about forgiveness and love, he shows it right there in his worst and most painful moments. The only explanation I can come up with is he was humanly divine in, in the most mysterious and wonderful and complete and total way. And he gave back to us our humanity. Because you see, we can do this. We don't do it all the time. We can't do it all the time. We do it sometimes, sometimes pretty well, sometimes beautifully well, and sometimes not at all. But we don't have to hate because we're hated. We don't have to bring revenge to somebody because they've hurt us. We can love back. We can forgive back. That's the divine truth. That's the light. That's what the star is saying. That's what it's revealing and manifesting to us. We are people of the light. And we can receive the light. We can live the light. We can become the light. 
and we can give the light to others. On this Feast of Epiphany, the church is asking us to realize the gift that has been given to us. We are, like Paul says in the second read, we're stewards of God's grace and blessing. And the more that we become accustomed to the light and know it, the more that we understand it in mind and heart, the more it will fill us and become us and the more power we will have to give to others. So perhaps uh, one of the best days on the, this revelation and manifestation of the light in our midst and revealing and manifesting to us that we too are become that people of light, let us remember when we first received it in a very full way on the day of our baptism. And on that day, we made promises through our parents and godparents. Let us renew those promises today. My brothers and sisters, do you all reject sin so as to live in the freedom of God's children? I do. Do you reject the glamour of evil and refuse to be mastered by sin? I do. Do you reject Satan, father of sin and prince of darkness? I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried, rose from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I do. This is our faith. This is our faith. This is the faith of the Church. This is the faith of the Church. We are proud to profess it. We are proud to in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Trusting in the light that illuminates our path toward the Father, we bring God our prayers.